0: Well, good morning, church. I love kids and watching this. The kids up there just made me smile. I don't know about you, but <clears throat> the hope of children is just beautiful. I want to thank you again for the opportunity to let me uh, open God's word for you. It's, it's quite a privilege. And today of all days, I've, I've, I've really been looking forward to being with you here this morning and bringing God's word. So before we open his word, would you pray with me? Our Father, on this Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And while we have not yet seen Jesus with our own eyes, we believe he lives. So, O oh God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. And strengthen our faith until that day when we will see with our own eyes our resurrected Lord. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Now our text comes from Luke 24 this morning, as well as John 20. So if you're following along and you want to put your finger in John's Gospel, that's on page 1137 in the Bible in front of you. And then we'll read Luke 24 first, which is the first first 12 verses, which is on 1106. Put your finger in John, and then we'll start with Luke's Gospel. So Luke 24, verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they had entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. wondering to himself what had happened. Now flip over to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, also called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord... And my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. This is the word of the Lord. And we as a community have been on a journey alongside Christians from around the world. And it's a journey that we make every single year. For 40 days, We've made our way through the lenten season, preparing our hearts and minds for good Friday. A few days ago we observed that abhorrent but yet redemptive act of the crucifixion. When the when the Romans nailed Jesus to that cross and crucified him, the intent was for Jesus to be forgotten by all humanity forever. Jesus was not forgotten. And since Friday, we have been eagerly waiting for this morning. This morning, we give praise to God for the resurrection of Jesus. But more than that, we are gathered here this morning because we believe that God has made this Jesus who was crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Why do we gather today, and really every Sunday, as a diverse group of individuals, but yet in unity worship? this Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, buried, and resurrected. As we read this morning, seeing Jesus resurrected fundamentally changed the disciples. The resurrection transformed this ragtag group of disciples who, as we've been looking at the past several weeks, they didn't often get it, did they? Jesus' disciples didn't see the resurrection coming, even though they probably should have. Jesus had been teaching these disciples for over three years, and it even told them at numerous times that he had to come to die and be resurrected. In other words, it wasn't for the lack of knowledge that these disciples didn't understand who Jesus was or what he came to do. No, instead, what transformed these disciples was seeing with their eyes the resurrected Jesus and touching this resurrected Jesus. It was the resurrection that drove them to share the good news of this Jesus of Nazareth to the ends of the earth. I think we see this transformation best in Thomas. And I kind of feel sorry for Thomas. Poor Thomas. He's forever labeled as Doubting Thomas, right? Because he refused to believe that Jesus had risen until he could physically touch him and see him. But yet, in spite of his doubts, it was Thomas when he finally did see Jesus and touch Jesus' wounds, he makes the clearest declaration of who Jesus is, doesn't he? Thomas went from doubting to proclaiming, my Lord and my God. It was the resurrection that changed the disciples, and it's still what changes people today, doesn't it? But unlike the disciples, we haven't seen Jesus, have we? We have not touched his wounds, so we are those people that have not seen, but yet believe. By faith, we've put our ultimate hope in this resurrected Jesus of Nazareth. Several years ago, Amanda and I visited Istanbul, Turkey. Now, if you're familiar with Istanbul, it is full of history. It's an old city, and I, I proudly admit that I am a history nerd, and so I was beyond excited to see some of the historical sites there and also see some of the sites of early Christianity. However, a few days ago, and it's very fitting of today, there was a suicide bombing that hit Istanbul in a crowded area and it killed or wounded 22 people. So my excitement turned to sadness. Death and evil were very near during our time there, and very real. In the midst of all this, we visited a very old church, a church where Christians had worshipped together for centuries. Now, the image you see displayed, I don't know if I I can't see it up there, but it's also in your bulletin. Take a look at that picture. It's a picture that I took in a chapel of this church in Istanbul. Now, churches during this time were often covered with paintings on the ceilings and walls. These are called frescoes. And this chapel was no different, and it was just covered in different frescoes. You can kind of think of it as an early form of stained glass. But at the focal point of this chapel was this particular fresco. It's called the anastasis. say anastasis. Anastasis is just the Greek word for resurrection. So as we visited this house of worship in the midst of death and evil around us, we stood in this chapel and looked up at the resurrection. The reason I chose to show you this picture is that it so beautifully portrays the hope of our faith that's rooted in Christ's resurrection. So what's happening in this fresco exactly? Well, First, you can see Jesus at the center in his resurrected body. And below his feet there, you can see two doors. These doors are representative of the gates of death and hell that had been broken down by Christ's resurrection. And it's a little hard to see, but if you can make out these doors of hell have crushed the devil beneath them. In Christ's resurrection, Satan's feet and hands have also been bound, and Satan has been relegated to his dominion of death. And this dominion of death and sin is also filled with chains and locks, all of which symbolize the bondage that comes from sin and death. And also in this picture, you can see that Jesus is pulling two people up from their tombs. These two people are Adam on the left and Eve on the right. And they're representative of all humanity. These two people represent us. Who since the Garden of Eden have been enslaved to sin and death. Because it's through our first parents, Adam and Eve, that sin and death entered this world, and it is through Jesus in his resurrection that these powers have been destroyed. All of this is so beautifully portrayed in this fresco. But not only does the image visually illustrate our hope in the resurrection, but the chapel itself is powerfully symbolic. You see, this chapel that we were in was used for funerals. And so as believers would gather in this chapel centuries ago to mourn the loss of a loved one, they would look up at this fresco. They would see the resurrection. And even though it was only a painting of the resurrection, these believers would look up and see Jesus lifting humanity out from the grave, freeing them from the curse of sin and so giving them hope. So while they would mourn. They didn't mourn as those with no hope. For they too would follow Jesus Christ in his resurrection. This particular painting was painted 700 years ago. But how does the hope of the resurrection translate to today's world? What does the resurrection mean for us today and for our future? Like I said earlier, we have not seen... Jesus like the disciples did but yet every one of us can clearly see that something is wrong with this world and we all know that something must be made right so in Christ's resurrection we as Christians have been transferred into this new kingdom where God is king but yet at the same time we live in this this world that is affected by sin and death don't we And so while we live in a fallen world, we must remember that with the resurrection, Jesus has dealt a fatal blow to sin and death. The doors of sin and death, which once held us hostage, have been broken down. They have been destroyed. And so sin and death, while still present in this world, think of them as gasping for their last breath. It's only a matter of time before they are completely defeated. Think about this picture as Paul says these words to the Colossians, believers. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So in Christ's death and his resurrection, we have been made spiritually right with God. The cross and the empty tomb are inseparable from one another. Consider what Paul says to the Corinthians who are telling Paul that there is no resurrection. Paul says to them, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So Paul is basically saying that our sins being forgiven are dependent on Christ's resurrection. The empty tomb we celebrate this morning validates what Christ did on the cross on Friday. And so with Christ's death and resurrection, our sin has been dealt with in a mysterious way, and the curse of sin has been removed. And we can say to that, thanks be to God. But not only has the resurrection freed us spiritually, but the resurrection also declares that God has not given up on this physical world and our physical bodies. The resurrection of Christ's body just screams to us that God cares about this world. God cares about humanity. God cares about our suffering. God has created us as physical bodies whom he breathed life into. So why would God let something so precious that he created be ultimately destroyed by sin and death? The answer is simple. He won't let it happen. Now, let me be clear. I'm not naive enough to think that if we believe in the resurrection, we will not experience the effects of sin and death in this life. The power of sin and death are, are very real and very tangible for every one of us. We see the effects of sin and death all around us. And our own church body has experienced in recent days and weeks. Sean mentioned, and by the coming weeks. It's very real to us. But yet, in the midst of all that hopelessness and death that continually surround us, we can proclaim, just as Paul did, where, O oh death, is your victory. Where, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But if we're honest, and I hope we all are, death stings, doesn't it? Death seems about as final as it gets. Death rips away from us the ones we love. And from a human point of view, death kind of seems to have the victory, doesn't it? So what in the world is Paul talking about here? Why can Paul make such a seemingly desperate claim of hope when all you have to do is look around you, the pain, the suffering, the injustice, the death? We can only say this because Jesus has already conquered that last enemy of death. Paul's not looking at his current circumstances but he's also looking forward to the day when we as God's people and all of creation will follow Jesus in his resurrection. Yes, God cares about creation too. So that means that what we do in these bodies and in this world matters to God. Every good deed we do, our care for creation, providing for the physical needs of others, planting gardens, creating and enjoying music and art, reconciling with others, working towards social justice. All of this and more we do because we believe Christ has risen and because he's coming again. And so as we look forward to that future when God will make all sad things come untrue... We can put our hope in the fact that we too will follow Christ in his resurrection. As Paul says in Romans, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So, therefore, our great hope as believers is not simply to ask Jesus into our hearts so when we die, we can rid ourselves of this earthly body and fly away to live disembodied lives in heaven. So while scripture is clear that when we die those who are in Christ are with Christ and that is a wonderful thing and something we can look forward to. but Our final and ultimate hope is to follow Christ in his resurrection. To follow Christ in a resurrection like his and so to live in the presence of God forever with resurrected bodies on this redeemed world. That's our hope. Now, I asked the question earlier, why do we gather every Sunday as a diverse group of individuals and in unity worship this Jesus who is crucified, buried, and resurrected? We do this because he lives. My brothers and sisters, the church is not a memorial society. It is the body of the living Jesus Christ. And one day, we as believers from all time, from every country, every tribe, every language, will gather together as the bride of Christ. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who conquered sin and death, is still going to bear the healing wounds upon his hands and feet inside. And as we wait for that day when we when God will finally and completely make all things new, know this, that same power that raised Christ from the dead works in us today. Christ is making every sad thing come untrue. And one day our faith will finally be able to see Jesus and touch the wounds, just as Thomas did, and proclaim my Lord, and my God. That's good news, isn't it? That is why we can proclaim together, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you join me in the song of response? Lift high the cross.